Hello, and welcome to Surviving HG, the Truth About Plant Medicine podcast. I'm your Canadian host, Tori Moline, and I can't wait to share with you all the brave, untold stories of women who faced hyperemesis gravidarum and courageously chose to use plant medicine. These stories carry with them raw experiences, brave vulnerability, and ultimately the intuitive powers HG moms have deep within inside of us. This podcast marries two untalked about subjects, HG and the generation of women who were silenced, and the natural yet stigmatized powers of the cannabis plant. HG is the picture-perfect illness candidate for cannabis, but because it involves pregnancy and growing a baby, doctors in the medical world are reluctant to try it and to recommend it. Decades worth of propaganda still contributes to many people, including these doctors, outlook on plant medicine. In some places like the UK or Texas, for example, HG moms who choose to use cannabis out of survival to save them and their baby are persecuted. In other places, HG moms are given a hard time by social workers, family members, partners, hospital staff, and their OB and midwife. HG moms deserve justice after centuries of suffering. HG moms deserve to know about plant medicine as an option during HG pregnancies. HG moms deserve to know there are other women fighting just like them and making the brave decision to go against the social norms and choose plant medicine. HG moms need education, resources, and community after centuries of being deprived from it. These stories you are about to hear are from moms who bravely shared them in hopes of helping create change for future HG generations. These stories deserve to be heard. These stories deserve to be protected. And these stories deserve to be shared and listened to. These are the untold stories of HG plant medicine moms. I want to start this episode off by talking a little bit about my own experience because I would like to highlight why I have done this podcast, actually. Um, I had to hide my use of cannabis during pregnancy, during my HG pregnancy, which was traumatizing in itself, but I was never ridiculed by government or hospital employees. No drug test. A CPS case was not opened against me. No home visit, no proof needed that I didn't have a substance use disorder. I was able to breastfeed my baby, no questions asked. My 24 hours at the hospital were as undisturbed as possible, and I did not need permission from a social worker to leave the hospital. My story is not the same as other HG plant-choosing moms. My close friends, I call them sisters, they've been traumatized by the system after surviving HG. This episode, I particularly talk to one of those moms. When you have recently given birth, this unnecessary invasion of CPS, catalyzed by OBs and hospital policies, is literally traumatizing. There is no question CPS contributes to PTSD, PPD, and PPA in postpartum mothers. How does it make sense that a mom who used medicine from this earth to survive a starvation event is handed a list of to-dos and has to prove her innocence after a C-section or vaginal birth? Bleeding, exhausted, and often your power already taken away from you. This is why 
I am doing this podcast. And this is why I've spoken to this mama right here. This mom's name is Odessa. She goes by Des. A lot of you might know her from TikTok. She is also a plant medicine advocate. And I found Des was one of the first moms I ever found on the TikTok app talking about HG. Her and I went through a little bit of a similar experience. We both experienced postpartum weight loss quite a bit as well. Um, and so, oh, and ARFID. <laughs> and so we talk a little bit about that in this episode. And Des is located in New Mexico. And she gives me a little bit of insight on what it's like to have HG in Mexico and her. Wow. I can't believe I have Des on my podcast today. This is a full circle moment because Des was one of the OG friends on the TikTok app talking about HG and cannabis and um, doing the advocacy with me back in the original, original days when not many of us existed. And so Des has a special place in my heart. Um, She was one of the first HG moms I ever met. Well, met, you know, through the internet. And um, her passion for educating others about HG and cannabis is wonderful. And she is also, um, prior to pregnancy, she was in school to become a doula. And I think that is her plan afterwards as well. Um, So we have that in common. So we have lots of good chats about how to help HG moms. However, currently, Des is pregnant with her second baby, a second round of HG as well. And so she has been taking lots of kind of rest lately, um, looking and learning more about H, learning even more about HG through this pregnancy um, and her experiences with her doctors this time and her experience with using cannabis this time. Uh, Des has a very interesting story to tell. Uh, Her first pregnancy involved some significant weight loss. In fact, Des at one point had lost about 60 or 70 pounds within one week. Yes, you heard that right. 60 or 70 pounds within one week. That is what HG can do to you when undiagnosed or not helped. Um, And so we, we dive into those details. And so here is Des's story. But yeah, okay, so 2017, what are you talking about? So in 2017, I don't know if you've seen it, on my TikTok page, I have a video from when the fall of Roe v. Wade first happened. Mm, Okay. Talking about a termination that I had. Ah, yes, okay. So... I was in an incredibly, incredibly abusive relationship and I found myself pregnant and I was forced into the termination from him and his roommates, whether I wanted it or not. But when I had gotten to the clinic to start everything for it, I was told I didn't have a choice in the say because there was no viability to the pregnancy. Okay. When I got there for the appointments and everything, um, my ex and his roommate very much wanted to try to get me to miscarry on my own because, well, abortions cost money mm-hmm. and not a little amount. Mm-hmm. So by the time I got into the clinic, I was around 11 weeks and there was no heartbeat. And the brain that was starting to form 
was visibly deformed. And I didn't put two and two together at the time. But at that point, when I had gotten pregnant versus when I got into the clinic, I had lost 75 pounds throwing up constantly. And I didn't know what hyperemesis was. I didn't have any prenatal care. Mm -hmm. I was 17, freshly turning 18. And it's one of those things that it was a really hard time. Didn't know what hyperemesis was. Mm -hmm. Just knew that, hey, I was really sick. Which then led into when me and my husband started trying for our son. Mm-hmm. And when I did get pregnant with him in the beginning of it, I thought that it was normal to be throwing up that much because that's how it was with right past one. How I many growing- years? Oh, sorry. How many oh. years? How many years passed in between um, um, uh, your baby's pre- like your baby and then the previous pregnancy? So seventeen, four years. Okay. Okay. Four years. Mm-hmm. And during those four years, what were uh, what was your life like? Were you getting out of that relationship? What did uh, yeah? What did life look like? So during those four years, I after the termination, I stayed with that ex for another six months, and that is one of my biggest regrets in my life. Um, his roommate tried to kill me three separate times. And once I got out of there, I fucking ran. Mm-hmm. And I did not stop running until I couldn't see it anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, um, about four or five months after I left him and moved out, I moved in with my cousin and his girlfriend. And she introduced me to her brother, which is my now husband. Oh, no way. That is very cool. (laughs) So from there, you know, it went to me and him getting together and figuring our stuff out. We have a little bit of an age gap. So there's some headbutting that happens sometimes. (laughs) But then, you know, when we got pregnant with Bennett, I warned him. I was like, so I don't know if you've ever been around pregnancy before. But um, I'm going to be throwing up a lot because <laughs> that's just what happens, right? You thought it was normal. I, oh, wow. <laughs> and then it got to the point that I was vomiting blood mm-hmm. and my cheeks were sinking in and he had to force me to go to the ER. Wow. Because he was like, this is not normal. Yeah. Okay. Take me he back. Like, to... Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. He, he was looking at me and just it, it was. He's like, this is not normal. What do you mean this is normal? And it's just, this is what happens in pregnancy. But then he ends up forcing me to go to the ER. Mm -hmm. At at what? How many weeks were you at this point? I was nine weeks, three days. Uh, Do you remember when the nausea vomiting set in at all? The nausea and vomiting with Bennett's pregnancy set in before I got a positive test. Okay, interesting. And very common, I think, for HG moms a little bit. 
Like I thought I had the stomach flu. Right. Right. And then I missed my period and I was like, hold on. So I tested and sure enough, boom, about nine and a half weeks pregnant. He forces me to go to the ER. And the first trip to the ER is decent, I guess. Okay. Mm -hmm. You know, they're very judgmental. They're kind of like, yeah, well, you throw up in pregnancy, which is only reinforcing in my mind that I'm right. Uh Uh-huh. Wow. Wow. And then, you know, they give me Zofran and fluids. And once the vomiting stops, they send me on a plane. The next day, it happens again. Mm -hmm. He forces me to go to the ER again. And I'm like, well, you're doing this, my dude. Same thing happens. I get sent home. The next morning, I'm taking a shower and I faint. And that's when I realized, okay, maybe this isn't normal. Because I've never fainted before. Pregnant or not, I've never fainted before this. And that is terrifying. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. To be washing your hair one minute and the next minute be waking up locked on the shower floor. Mm -hmm. And we go to the ER and we're there for hours. Probably just house sitting there too, hey? He gets up to go to the bathroom. I'm on an IV. And the second he leaves the room, three nurses come in to chastise me. Well, you should have thought about this before getting pregnant. Throwing up, that's what happens. If you can't handle a little bit of throwing up, how are you going to handle being a mom? I can't believe they said that to you. And he comes back in the room and I'm crying and I want to go. I've ripped my IV out. I am standing. I'm getting dressed. We're leaving. I'm not doing this. The next day I have an appointment with my OB and I tell her about what happened. And she goes, well... You have hyperemesis. And I'm like, what's that? And she's like, nobody told you? It's been in your chart. Wow. And I'm just like. No community. Nobody told me? Yeah, I can't believe that. I'm like, how long has this been in my chart? And she's like, well, I've had it in your chart since your first appointment at seven weeks mm. because of the fact that you had mentioned your vomiting started before you got the positive test. And I'm just, okay. Uh, nobody told me. Mm-hmm. So it's been in my chart this whole time. And those nurses still did that. With Bennett's pregnancy, I was on Zofran, Reglin, and Promethazine. Mm-hmm. Every six hours, like clockwork. Right. If I missed it by even five minutes, I was stuck in the bathroom, unable to stop throwing up long enough to take up. Right. It's very regimented in terms of medication when it comes to HG. I had so many people, you know, in my ear telling me that I was being selfish. Because on top of all of those medications, if I wanted to have a decent day, 
I needed the cannabis. Mm-hmm. At what point did you realize that the cannabis was helping? So during Bennett's pregnancy, it's 2021. During 2020, I had developed a pretty codependent friendship with somebody. And I was over at their house like every single day. Mm -hmm. And so during the pregnancy, I was over there a lot. And we were smoking a lot because, well, we, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know. So I get pregnant and I decide I'm going to stop smoking because everything I've read up to this point tells you, you know, no cannabis in pregnancy. Right. Yeah. And it was this friendship that made me try it again during because I'm sitting there watching TV. Her kids are running around and I've got my head in a bucket the whole time. And she passes over the bong and goes, just take a hit, please. Mm -hmm. I'm suffering watching you. Yeah. And I do. And for the first time in like three days, I got relief. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Instantly, too. Hey, like within a few seconds, like instantly. Mm-hmm. And uh, the uh, video of me crying over eggs. Right. That one. There's That's so many that, views. There's almost a million views on that. thing. <laughs> I saw that. Like that. Is what got me to be able to eat those eggs. Right. OK. I was wondering. I was like, there must be a, there must have been the power of cannabis here. <laughs> yeah, that was a the first time I smoked pregnant. Wow, wow. Mm-hmm. And they put food in front of me, and I, I was able to eat. Yeah, mm-hmm. beautiful. Hey, like all of Bennett's pregnancy, for the most part, all I could eat and be able to somewhat keep down were buttered plain pasta mashed potatoes mm-hmm. and broth mm-hmm. sounds sounds about right <laughs> and even if those didn't stay down hey at least they were easy coming back up that's right mm-hmm. the amount of thinking we put into our food that we put in our mouth is astronomical <laughs> well, it really is it is and then it's carried with us later, postpartum too. And then you've got the issues of, you know, if you're not eating, what's happening inside of there? Mm-hmm. So with him, according to, you know, the last menstrual cycle date and ovulation and all of that, because we were trying for him. I was tracking everything. Mm-hmm. I was taking the ovulation test. I was tracking the basal body temperature. I was doing all of the things. So I know the day I ovulate. Mm-hmm. Bennett's due date was originally November 21st. Lost a bunch of weight during that week that I was in and out of the ER being chastised by nurses. 60 pounds. 60 pounds? Six zero? In one week. Now, a majority of it was water weight. Yeah. But you don't want to be losing that much weight in pregnancy. Of course. Of course. That is uh, that is just like a very long weight to lose. <laughs> yeah. I lose 60 pounds in one week. Wow. And I'm being congratulated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
I'm being told, well, hey, at least you won't have to lose the baby weight now. You needed that. You needed that weight for the pregnancy. That's what they're not understanding. And then they changed my due date from November 21st to December 6th. Why? Because he stopped growing. Because of all of the weight that I lost. And he started measuring a couple weeks behind. So they just changed the due date to match up with the growth. Okay. And what I don't understand is why he wasn't labeled as growth restricted. Oh. Hmm. Which is what he should have been. Mm -hmm. Because in all technicalities, he was almost three weeks overdue. Okay, right, right. December 5th, 2021, I start having contractions around noon. Around midnight, I'm like, okay, these are, we're going. The Mm -hmm. app says to go to the hospital, we're going. Mm -hmm. We get there, triage nurse looks at me like I'm crazy. She's like, honey, you're not having contractions. And what was her reasoning for that? The monitors that they put you on weren't picking any up. Oh, okay. And I'm like, okay, well, it feels like I'm having contractions. And she's like, well, it's midnight, December 6th. It's your due date. Do you want Pitocin? Oh. And I was like, um, sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like this baby the hell out of me. Yeah. Yeah. Because it sure feels like I'm contracting. And he ends up being born on the 7th at like 3 in the morning. Oh, okay. So a couple hours later. 3.42 in the morning on December 7th, he's born. So I was in labor close to 28 hours. Mm. And it, it was really weird because the entire labor, I didn't have any nausea. I think they had Zofran in my IV drip, to be dead honest with Ah, you. Okay, because did you do epidural? I did. I tried not to. Oh, yeah. No, it's... Because I have Harrington rods on my spine. Oh, I see. I see. And the first anesthesiologist that they had come in to talk with me was the first medical professional I have ever fired Mm. from my case. Wow. And he sits me down and he goes, so we don't normally offer epidurals to women with Harrington rods because, well, my spine is fused. That's a little bit of a liability issue. I get that. It's harder for them to do. Okay. And he goes, I'm not super comfortable doing, but if you want me to, I will. What a Please leave. Yeah, what a choice to be given in such a state like you were in. Wow. I, I'm like, Please get out of my room before I start throwing things at you to get you out. Mm-hmm. Because I'm about to have a child. You're dealing with my spine. Mm-hmm. You could paralyze me. If you are not 100% confident in your ability to do your job, you're not touching me. Yeah, no, that's totally fair. Good for you. So he leaves. I am on nitrous at this point. And what's that again? 
uh, nitrous oxide gas and air. Okay, yeah, yeah. So like laughing gas. Yeah, that probably helps the nausea puking too, actually, because I had something similar. Honestly, yeah. I think like, yeah. I'm on that for the longest time. And then back labor hits. So then it was sunny side up. (laughs) He he came out with his face facing up. He wanted to see the world. (laughs) And when back labor hit, it was hell. Mm -hmm. And I was cursing my husband to death. And they have another anesthesiologist come in. And he comes in, fucking guns blazing. Okay. He's like, okay, mamas, I got you. I got you, daddy. You need to leave the room. Go, mama, sit up, turn, chair. What you got? Harrington rods point to where? Okay. Boom, 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 done. Gets the epidural placed. Wow. Wow. And I'm just, okay. They have to tip me on my side so that it takes fully. And I can, it's really weird because you can feel it trickle. Yeah, yeah. And it didn't end up fully taking for me. Uh-huh. Which nurses need to start believing their patients when they're telling them that the epidural isn't fully taking. Did you have an option to press a button for like more? I did. You could okay. press it as many times as you wanted, but it would only work every like 30 seconds. Okay, okay, I see. Yeah, because I remember pressing that button a few times. (laughs) I I remember pressing it like once or twice while I was pushing and the nurse going, honey, push it as much as you want. You're having a baby. Oh, yeah, cool. (laughs) It's like, okay. But like, we knew we were at transition with him because I started throwing up again. Oh, okay, interesting. And the nurse that I had mentioned that like yeah randomly throwing up like that is pretty common with transition however we mostly see it with our hg moms but it's in your mom's had hg her pregnancy and she isn't throwing up during labor when she starts to is when we need to get ready for baby okay okay Hmm. and it was okay good to know interesting now I know for this pregnancy that when I start randomly throwing up, not to have a panic attack mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because that was not pleasant. But then, you know, it got the relief once he was out. Mm-hmm. I had complete nausea relief for about a week postpartum okay a week hey okay so you're home now with baby things are going how are they going things are going decent I was nursing at this point um I think that a lot of HG moms need to be supported a little bit harder on what they're deciding to do for feeding Mm -hmm. agreed because Formula, you know, I have no issue with it. We did, we ended up doing formula with Bennett. Mm-hmm. I was starving myself mm-hmm. to be able to nurse him because it was, I didn't have time to eat. Did you because have a version? Probably going to come up. Right. We have that thinking still in our brain. Did you have food aversions as well on top of just not having the time to eat? And then did you have mm, nausea? And how, how often was that so, lingering? I really do think that it comes down to like PTSD. Because mm-hmm. 
The biggest issue I had had postpartum and continuing into this pregnancy is restaurants. I threw up in restaurant bathrooms so often with Bennett's pregnancy that postpartum and now in this pregnancy, we go out to eat and I can be starving. Mm -hmm. But the second the meal gets to me, my brain gets scared. Somehow the meal is overwhelming to me. It's scary. It is daunting. Mm-hmm. You don't feel and I can't eat it. Mm-hmm. And if I try to eat it or I try to force myself to eat it, I'll end up right back in that restaurant's bathroom throwing up. Mm-hmm. But if I take it home and eat it on the couch, I have no issue. Yep. Mm-hmm. I can I can understand that for sure. It's pl- it's um. I, I used to talk about like people, places, and like things uh, being triggers, especially places I found. And so that is just so crazy because I think all of our senses are really engaged when we're outside of our home. And especially because we are like stay at home moms, we are in our homes a lot. And so when we go out, all of our senses, oopsies, engage. Well, then I got to pause. Mm-hmm. So restaurants were really really tricky i think and hg moms can definitely relate to that i think a lot a large percentage of them well and you've got the fact that like you know once you're postpartum most of the time as mom when you're going into the restaurant you've got your kid with you Mm -hmm. and you know we've just been through a 10 month long starvation event Mm -hmm. our bodies are still very much in fight or flight mode very much and never mind the fact that in this day and age that we're living in, anytime we go in public with our kids, our fight or flight is a little bit heightened on top of it because we're watching for everything so vigilantly. Mm-hmm. And not even just for ourselves anymore, but we're watching other people's kids to make sure because you never know. God, you blink and they can be gone. Mm-hmm. That you go to the restaurant and you don't want to deal with any of it. It's overwhelming. You don't want to deal with it because the chance that you're going to be able to eat your food hot is going to be slim anyways because you're feeding the little ones. Mm -hmm. Um, You don't run the risk of having to run to the bathroom while you're there because that's just no. Yeah. How did um, switching to solids go when it was time for Bennett to switch to solids? Oh, God. He was not interested. Yeah. For the longest time, he was not interested at all. And then when he finally did get interested, it was, I want to say he was about 14, 15 months when he finally started getting like actually interested in eating solid food. Mm-hmm. And even then it was mostly pouches, mm-hmm. mostly purees is all he wanted. Mm-hmm. He's gotten a lot better now. He's 18 months now, almost 19. But he's still really picky with a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Like meat, he's not a big fan of. Do you eat a lot of meat yourself? Not really. Interesting. And you're yeah. too, so there's that. <laughs> That's true. Like, I try to. Mm-hmm. But it's just one of those... 
Yeah, it took me so long to get back into meat. So like introducing it to my kiddo was a little bit difficult for sure. <laughs> Six months like spam. not enough time. <laughs> he likes spam, but I don't like him eating spam too often because of all of the sodium. Oh yeah, that's a little bit more popular where you live compared to here. You don't here nobody really eats it too much. Like I've never eaten it in my life. <laughs> it, it's an easy cupboard staple. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> um, in New so where you're located, like in New Mexico, what is the general um attitude towards hg because i know you've talked to like a few moms as well because of your tiktok advocacy and stuff um yeah what's like the vibe in new mexico in terms of hg so out here it's not really talked about very much okay okay what about Um, cps involvement so cps involvement is kind of a weird place because unfortunately it is still very racially biased okay in a lot of places out here still mm-hmm. so like right now uh we are legalized out here we're recreationalized and medicalized okay um and i had talked with a NICU nurse at one of the hospitals out here who explained to me that like they're just kind of waiting for guidelines to catch up okay okay but I know that there's a lot of Hispanic and people of color out here who've been testing positive their entire pregnancies and their OBs had no issue with it, only to test positive again at delivery and suddenly their OB is the one who calls. Wow. I can't, I can't, I just, that blows my mind. How horrible. It, it, it's heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. it's one of those you know it, it's it's a plant it's naturally occurring mm-hmm. women have been using it to aid in nausea relief and pregnancy forever right like i mean i talk with my grandmother about it and she tells me about how with her mother her mom had a really hard pregnancy with one of her siblings. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. So you, pardon me? She used cannabis for her nausea. Your great grandma did? How incredible. Wow. Uh, What part of the world were they living in? That would have been out here still. Oh, okay. Interesting. Out here, like, my family's generations don't go too, too far back. (laughs) We've got a lot of young parents in our family. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, so your grand, your great grandma had potentially an HG pregnancy. How about any other woman in your family? Nobody else that I know of. Okay, okay. So it, it's definitely known to skip some generations. That's for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, there's nobody really that I know of in my family who had it. My mom. Dear God, she does. She didn't understand what was going on with me because she never threw up while she was pregnant. Wow. And I'm just kind of like, well, what's it like to be the God's favorite? 
because I'm not. Right. It doesn't help that she's, you know, saying, oh, I never did that. So why are you? That doesn't, that helps nobody. <laughs> like, okay. And that did what exactly? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, but then you got pretty lucky with your um, with your baby being born, hey, and your avoidant, avoidance of CPS. Do you want to yes. tell that little story? Oh, my God. So I was so anxious with him because we were not recreationalized out here yet. Oh, we- okay. when did that take place? Probably, well, after 2020. Recreational went through this year in April. Wow. Wow. <laughs> um, we had been medical for a handful of years. Right. But right. Rec, like fully went through this year. Mm-hmm. Rec, like was- legalizing recreational cannabis helps to normalize it around that area pretty much. So it's important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I was really anxious with my son's pregnancy and I stopped smoking. Like, a month and a half. Okay, yeah. Before. And now I broke. I was having such bad back pain about two weeks before I had him that I ended up taking a hit off of my e ray. Mm-hmm. And around that time was also when I learned that meconium, baby's first poop. Oh, it doesn't matter when you quit smoking. If it's not before the 14-week mark, because meconium is formed around 14 to 20 weeks gestation. So I was like, if they test him, I'm screwed. Ah. Okay, let's talk about when you were in the hospital giving birth to Bennett and how Bennett understood the assignment. Yes. So... You know, I had quit smoking about a month before I delivered. And around that time, I'd also learned that meconium is formed earlier on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They test them. So I realized that if they tested him at birth, I was screwed. And, you know, so we're there. I'm having him and they pull him out and put him up on my chest. And this nurse starts wiping my stomach. And I'm just kind of like, ma'am, what the fuck are you doing? Right? Weird, weird sensation. (laughs) I'm only partially numb. So it feels really weird. What are you doing? Right. And she's like, well, sweetheart, he shit on you. As they were lifting him up to my chest, he just let it go. Ah, and because of that, they weren't able to like put little baggy and test him. And my talk screen, which I'm still annoyed that they even did, because in the U.S. it is illegal to drug test a pregnant woman without their consent. And they did that a total of three times during his pregnancy. Wow. Yeah, that's very important to note to anyone listening. It is illegal for them to test you without your consent. It's incredibly frustrating because they can test baby without your consent. Yes, that is where it differs, for sure. Like, they can't test you without your consent. 
It, right. it is a very slippery slope with it and they don't like to fucking listen. And I feel like it's very intentional the way they avoid telling us about things with it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it, it's all very intentional and it's all, it very much feels like power plays. It, it's one of those things that I support moms and however they want to deliver. There are certain things that if our beliefs are different on them, we will just not discuss because I don't want to start fights. For sure, for sure. Like, there are certain things that I'm very strongly opinionated on when it comes to birth and whatnot. However, there's a very unfortunate reason that more and more and more women are ending up in very dangerous situations because they are in free birthing situations and did not do any research beforehand. Yeah, true. And there's an unfortunate reason that's happening, and it's these medical professionals. Mm -hmm. Because it's very intentional the way they avoid telling you about certain things. And then the way they act when you start advocating for yourself. Mm -hmm. Like this pregnancy, um, they want me doing weekly non-stress tests. That's a lot. Yeah, I am due in just about four weeks. I'm very excited. But they want me doing non-stress tests every week. And I had them every other week at the end of pregnancy with Bennett. And they're incredibly hard on my back. Again, I have my back fused. So my spine doesn't do the bendy thing. And when they have you on the monitors for the non-stress test, they've got you like reclined back partially and then twisted partially onto your side and cockeye. And that really fucks my back up. My husband is 98% certain that the one non-stress test we did this pregnancy is what caused me to end up in labor and delivery for not being able to keep anything down. So I talked to my OB about it and she was like, I'm going to be honest. I don't really know why they're having you do them weekly. If you don't want them, tell them no. Because if there is something on the non-stress test that is suspicious, they're just going to do an ultrasound. And they're doing these non-stress tests after they're doing the ultrasound anyway. Mm-hmm. The one that we had this time, they used the what they call alarm clock on it. What's that? It, it's a little like buzzer. It just vibrates. Like it didn't hurt me. Mm-hmm. But you cannot tell me that it doesn't hurt them if it can startle them mm-hmm. into their heart rate rising over 15 beats mm-hmm. you know it, it at the very least is uncomfortable for them and that why are we doing that that's not cool mm-hmm. like this non-stress test we had they admitted that yeah he's probably sleeping because of the ultrasound but we're not getting the results we want hmm. so my ob tells me you know just tell them no because they're doing the ultrasound anyways mm-hmm. 
And all the non-stress test monitors is his heart rate and whether or not I'm having contractions. Mm -hmm. So last week we go in for our ultrasounds. Now they're doing weekly biophysicals. And she comes out to get me for the non-stress test first. And I'm like, actually, we're not going to be doing that. Mm -hmm. I thought I was very nice about it. I was like, you know, talked with my OB. She and I both feel that unless there's something indicative on the ultrasound of it, that we're going to be foregoing. Okay. And the look of annoyance on her face was so fucking visible Mm -hmm. that my husband, who did not hear the interaction, was like, who's shit in her fucking Cheerios when she walked away? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, apparently me. Mm. About 15, 20 minutes later, she comes and gets us for the ultrasound. And during the ultrasound, everything's fine. Everything's great. Cool. Until we get to the end. And it's like 2.45 at this point. Around 2.30 to 3 every day, he is asleep. I do not get movement from him during that time of the day because he is sleeping. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of, you know, that's how it goes. Even before they're born, they have their own little routines. Mm -hmm. And so because he's sleeping, he's not doing the practice breaths that she wants him to. Even though she saw him doing practice breaths earlier on in the ultrasound. And because he's not doing those practice breaths, I need to be put on the monitors. Mm. And I'm like, that's odd because they've never checked for that this intently before with my other son or at any point in this pregnancy. Yeah, She's like, well, I'll go talk with the provider. And out here, the provider is not who you think it is. You think it'd be my OB. No. It's the doctor that the ultrasound office has. Oh, okay. And she does not come and speak with me. But the tech comes back and says, she agrees you should be on the monitors. But we can't force you to do anything. No, you're right. You can't. We'll be going home. Bye. Uh So you went home and everything was fine? Yeah. Everything's fine. He moves and grooves and does his thing. He is good. We have another ultrasound today. And I told my husband, I was like, if we get there and it's her. Like, we have them put a note in my chart not to schedule me with her. Ah, uh, I see. But if they do, we're just going out. hmm mm-hmm. Because I have an ultra, or not, OB appointment on Thursday anyways. Gotcha. So, I'm not terribly concerned. Yeah. And how, maybe we can talk a little bit about this pregnancy. How has this pregnancy been for you in terms of, like nausea, vomiting, PTSD, because you're not that far off of your first. (laughs) How has that been? Even postpartum mental health? Like the PTSD has been definitely hard. Mm -hmm. Um, I really wanted to have my pregnancies be planned because I, you know, wanted my body to heal Uh, more than anything else because I, I needed to heal my PTSD. I needed yeah. to. 
Mm-hmm. It, it was one of those when I was nursing Bennett postpartum, we only made it to three months. Mm-hmm. 93 days, a week off of 100 days. Proud of you. Proud of you. Living with myself. I was so mad at myself for failing right before. Oh, it- but it had gotten to the point that my husband was like, you are going to kill yourself. Wow. And I can't lose my wife. Yeah, because you couldn't eat. Like, you were malnourished while breastfeeding. I can't. I, I didn't, you know, it was one of those, I'd look at food and I, I very much think that HG and ARFID go very much hand in hand. Yeah, you experience ARFID a little bit as well, hey? And it just, I'd look at food and even if it was something that I'd said I wanted, mm-hmm. Once I got it, my brain was just, that's going to make you throw up. That's going to make you sick. No. Yes. 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 That is PTSD. As and the PTSD that's turned into ARFID. We, we need more information on this. And it spiraled from that into, I was so focused on the fact that I had inadvertently starved my son for 10 months while I was pregnant with him because I couldn't that I had, had to, had to, had to focus on nursing him now. So I didn't have time to eat. I was too busy pumping. I was too busy looking up regimens. I was too busy looking up recipes for lactation cookies that I never ate, mind you. Yes. I didn't have time to make them because I was too busy pumping. Oh my God, yes. And I dropped, I just kept dropping weight postpartum. My husband was just, no, we're going to formula because I can't lose you. Mm-hmm. And once we went to formula, you know, things started to get a little bit better, started focusing on healing from the PTSD and everything. And then I found out I was pregnant again. <laughs> and this pregnancy, the nausea didn't start up. Until about a week and a half after I got Okay, okay. And I was like convinced that I wasn't going to have HG this time. Mm-hmm. Convinced. Mm-hmm. What's going to happen? Yeah, no. When did it kick in this time? Kicked in around, still around this like eight week mark. Okay, yeah, yeah. And the entire pregnancy, like they had me on diplegis. And they have me on omethazine. Yeah. And one of those is working really well for you, right? Yes. Yeah. The diclegis has been absolutely game-changing. Diclegis. Yeah. That is one medication that we don't have in Canada too much. Um, but it's something that I need to look into for Canadian moms. Because, yeah, diclegis is not something we are prescribed up here. But I've heard it is successful with some moms in the state. So I'm glad to hear it It works decently for you. Like this pregnancy, they had me on diclegis. And the diclegis is game-changing. All I have to do is I take it at night before bed. Mm-hmm. And I am generally good. Like, I will still be throwing up about four or five times a day. Yeah. But I'll take four or five times a day over constantly throughout the day. For sure. 
portion. Because there is nothing more humbling than your fucking 11-month-old mimicking you throwing up. Yes. I was having to bring Bennett into the bathroom with me because, you know, I got pregnant with him with this one around 10 months postpartum. So Bennett was like about 11 months old. I'm throwing up in the bathroom. Scott's at work. So I have to take the baby with me into the bathroom. And, you know, he's sitting in the bathtub playing because it's the safest place for him. Mm-hmm. It's There's no water in it at the moment. It's just, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's and a great idea. <laughs> I go to like rinse my face off after I've stopped throwing up and I hear him and I think he's throwing up and I'm like, Oh, my baby. No, he's just mimicking me. He's making the sounds and I rush over to him and he sees me and he just <laughs> and starts laughing. I'm like, you little asshole. <laughs> and, and you know, it's funny because I was so worried on how the HG would affect him mentally because you know it's one of those he's a baby he may not remember it but his body will he's only ever thrown up once Mm -hmm. his entire life he's only ever thrown up once it was projectile it was all over me it should have been on his dad because his dad was the one being an ass (laughs) but no it was all over me but only once and I will take it yeah. But the fact that he was mimicking, there is nothing more humbling. Yeah, that would be. I heard that from a few moms too. And so I think that'll happen to me if it if I get pregnant with H- and have HG again as well. <laughs> and the older they are, the more they're like, they can pick up on it too. So it'll be interesting. It, it's sweet now that Bennett's age now, he's again, you know, he's 18, almost 19 months. Now it's one of those. If Scott hears me in the bathroom throwing up, he can hand Bennett one of the little water bottles and he'll, can you take this to mommy? Oh, and Bennett, and he'll rush over and bring it to me and he'll stand there and kind of watch. Aww. And it's, Bennett is, God, he's finally gotten to the age where the random wanting to be affectionate happens. Yeah. Like he'll just kind of come up to me and hug me. Or at bedtime now, you know, our routine has always been bottle rock into the crib asleep, which that is going to bite me in the ass because I am 36 weeks pregnant with number two and he's still in his crib in our room. His bed is set up in his room. We just haven't transitioned him yet. It's okay. He is still pretty young. Don't worry. But he will now like, try to get out of falling asleep when I'm rocking him because I'll be rocking like, you know, in my arms and he will throw his arm around my neck and pull me down to him to hug and just be smiling or be like kissy lips and just repeatedly pulling me down to give him kisses to try to get out and go into bed. (laughs) And it's like, mama loves the love, but you're still going to sleep because mommy needs mommy's time. Right, right. Mommy wants to watch Bones and be able to smoke and not be nauseous. Yes, exactly. (laughs) And it's, 
I'm very interested to see how it goes this pregnancy because this pregnancy I am smoking up until delivery. Yes. Yeah. I'm interested to see too. Your OBs are supportive. So hopefully cross the fingers, they stick on your team. (laughs) That's what I'm hoping. And it's one of those things that even if they do end up, I am fairly confident things will be okay. I have my medical card. True. That's helpful in states like yours for sure. Like it's one of those things that it's fucking There's studies coming out of Cambridge Mm -hmm. showing that it does not cause these delays, which that's the thing that gets me is, you know, you go to the OB's office and my OB's support it and you go into the bathroom and there's a sign telling you all about how you're a terrible parent now. I would shred it. (laughs) Honestly, I want to every time I see it. Because my OBs will tell me, yeah, no, there's evidence that it helps with nausea. It's helping you clearly all of this stuff. We support it. We're into this. And you go to give them the urine sample and there's this massive infographic on the back of the bathroom door talking about how it's never okay to use cannabis in pregnancy. It will cause your child to be autistic. You can't do this because of this. There is no evidence it helps nausea. The female there studies out of Cambridge showing that it does not cause delays in any capacity. Yeah. How can you sit there and tell me this and then have that? It it feels very shame. Absolutely. Like I do believe that birth can be a medical event. I don't believe it's inherently medical. Um, I hate when people are like, well, what happened before doctors? They, they die. So um, that's what happened. For sure. Yep. And like, look at mortality take- rates. That's what happened. Mm-hmm. I will always admit that, yeah, like the hospitals definitely are bringing about higher survival rates and whatnot. But, like, they're taking our power away while they're doing it. Yeah. It it is absolutely just devastating to me because it's, I mean, I posted a video on TikTok talking about the non-stress test bullshit. And I get a comment talking about how I was wasting their time by even going. Hmm. If I was going to decline additional testing, why waste their time and go at all then? Hmm. Because it's not all or nothing. Yeah, you thought they were going to maybe slight chance, like, listen to you. (laughs) Like, you know, it's one of those, it's not all or nothing. Just because I've got insurance that they can ring dry, that's what they want. Mm -hmm. That's why they want me to do the non-stress test is because I'm on insurance, thankfully. And I'm very privileged to be on insurance that covers everything. Very privileged to be on. But it's one of those, if I was paying out of pocket, would you be as annoyed that I didn't want the additional testing that you can charge $3,000 for? Wow. It is insane how much things cost down there for medical stuff. Insane. Like a trip to the ER, how much does that cost? 
Like I still have not gotten the itemized bill for Bennett's birth. Really? But like, that's the biggest reason that when they, when the nurses tell you to take everything that they provide, like all of the diapers and the wipes and stuff like that, that they give you while they're there. The reason they're telling you to take it all is because they're charging you for it regardless. Mm, Yeah. Mama's listen up to that. Make sure you take everything. (laughs) Because it's one of those, like our nurse explained it to us with Bennett's birth on the fact that like, no, if you look at your itemized bill after you have a baby, um, all of those supplies, the postpartum pads, the tucks, the dermaplast, the diapers, the wipes, the binkies, the bulbs. Yeah. All of it that they provide for you is billed to once once you get the bill, it would be really interesting to see. Um, you could even make a video about it if you if you felt comfortable. Cause like that's, that's crazy. Like, that's what I'm hoping is I still haven't gotten the one from Bennett and I'm hoping that with this birth, they will actually like send it to me. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm like, no, cause they'll charge you an arm and a leg for everything. I've heard they charge $75 for Tylenol. Holy cow. For one Tylenol. Whoa. That's insane. Which is just baffling to me you end up paying like many thousands of dollars if you don't have insurance right like it's like sometimes like 10 grand or 20 grand or something wow 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 (laughs) all to be medically neglected most of the time as hd mom right wow (laughs) they look at you and they're like we're gonna neglect you for the next 10 months yeah. We're going to gaslight you into thinking you're crazy. We're Every time your intuition yeah. and your instincts tell you something's wrong. Yeah. We're going to, you know, patronize you and make you feel like a child. Mm-hmm. And then you can give us all of the money that you've ever made. Ever. Yeah. And we're it's, even, we're, and they're not even going to leave you alone in the bathroom. They're going to put propaganda in there too. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then they're going to yell at you if you do things that you want to with your children. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember I got yelled at for nursing Bennett in the hospital in a sideline position instead of football mm-hmm. hold. Mm-hmm. And it was just, what? Mm-hmm. Why are you mad about that I don't understand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A lot of like breaking, trying to break the mom into mm, kind of going with what they say and not thinking for herself. And especially in that state of existence where you're you're bleeding, you're in pain, all that kind of stuff. And they're continuing to do this. Yeah. Like well, and I feel like they wait to have you fill out stuff until you're in a very fragile state. Ah. Because, you know, when you're in labor, you are primal. Your brain is reverted back to its most basic instincts because of how much pain you're in. Yes. Because of the way that this shit works your brain goes back to primal. So either you are cave womaning or even worse, potentially 
you are age regressing mentally. You know, you're going back to the, I want my mommy. I want my mommy to, I don't know. I don't want to be a big kid right now. I don't want to be an adult. I am not having a baby. I am a baby. No. So true. And that's when they have you fill out paperwork. That's when they have you make decisions. That's when they ask you, do you want to circumcise your son or not? Oh, really? That's when they asked you, hey, holy cow. Like I was in the throes of like trying to escape the hospital. Yeah. Wow. Because of how much pain I was. And I was like, nope, I'm going home. I'm not doing this. No, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go home. Yeah. Y'all can stay here and have a baby. I'm going to go home and chill. And they're like, ma'am, that's, that's not how this works. Yeah. <laughs> like that, that's not you. how this works. But I was in the throes of a full on panic attack. And they're like, so yeah. are you circumcising? And I'm like, you're asking me that now? The answer is no, but. Why are you asking me that right now? Right. I'm pretty sure I was asked after birth, which is when you should be asked, really. Or even prior, like at an OB appointment, you should be talking about it. Well, that's a whole other conversation. Well, maybe we'll avoid that one. But (laughs) why are you asking me to make decisions and sign things when I'm not going to remember any of this? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It, It feels very predatory. Yes. Like they take advantage of your vulnerability. 100%. 100%. No, they really do. And then they wonder why so many women are choosing free births now. And like I've been seeing an uptick of people who have been doing doula assisted free births. And I feel like People should be aware that legally speaking, doulas are not medical. We are support people. Yep, that is true. That's true. And I wonder how doulas navigate that. Um, I've been seeing a lot of doulas in my groups talking about like, what am I supposed to do here? Ah, Like I, before I got pregnant with this baby, I was in school for becoming a doula. So I'm in quite a few groups on Facebook and stuff. And I've been seeing so many doulas posting, like I was hired for this client and then I get to the birth and I'm the only other person here. And they're expecting me to do this, this, and this. Am I supposed to legally? No, we're not allowed to. But more and more women are doing this. And I can't fucking blame them for it. I really can't because you can't trust your medical providers. Yeah. And but, well, I think maybe a solution to that would be to be be more prepared. So maybe we're learning about this, you know, 10 years before we're actually having kids. Like, what if we taught how to, how to... I don't know, something to do with the umbilical cord or something. Like, let's talk about that in a health class instead of talking about drugs are bad or marijuana is a drug. Like, that is what I taught in health class not that long ago, a few years ago. But if we taught boys and girls and everybody in this world how to properly care for a woman who is pregnant, giving birth, and postpartum, our world would be so different. And that's where that um, because we can't trust our medical professionals, 
Well, then it's almost like, okay, we need to take this upon ourselves. And by taking this upon ourselves, that means starting earlier with our learning. Because we can't just learn this all being through, like, especially us who have HG pregnancies, we're learning about this while we're vomiting our faces off. And that's not right. Mm -hmm. Because no one can learn when they are malnourished and puking constantly. Exactly. Like, I know that my boys are... I hope that whoever my boys fall in love with as adults, I hope they know that I'm working for them. Mm -hmm. Because it's one of those, you know, if my boys end up having kids, if they end up having wives, they are going to be some of the best husbands that they can be. Mm -hmm. Because of the fact that I'm going to be going for midwifery after this baby. Yeah. So they are going to be taught the ins and outs and all of the things. And it's going to be so normalized for them because that's what it should be. Yes, I agree. I mean, the ex that I was with back in 2017, he was so uneducated in women in general Mm -hmm. that the word period was not allowed to be said. Mm -hmm. The word menstruation was not allowed to be said. That is if you had to inform them that you were on your period, you had to tell them you were red. Oh wow. That is it felt like a fucking cult. Yeah, yeah. That's not how it should be. And I'm so glad you got out of that. My goodness. <laughs> but it's one of those, it's gonna be so normalized for them. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping that in the future we can start normalizing it for everyone. Agreed. Agreed. Because and- it's one of those Birth is the most common thing that happens. How many babies are born every second? Yeah. And yet somehow we have this entire subsect of men who were babies. Come from mothers. They, they came from women who just don't get it. Mm-hmm. Who think that we're just bitching. Or they we're just lazy. Yeah, or they were broken and stomped on, so they think you should be broken and stomped on. That is a common thing from generation to generation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're out here breaking cycles, not repeating them. Yeah, and I was going to say, too, by you teaching your boys like that, that is uh, such a proactive way to change the conversation around all of this stuff that we're talking about is if we can raise our kids our hg babies to be more intelligent about pregnancy birth postpartum if we can create intelligence within this next generation that's when we're going to start to see change and that is going to be beautiful see and i was fascinated by in the fact that like you know um the owners of the company that i've been working with the husband grew up, I believe it was Mennonite. So home birth was normalized for him, but not his wife. And now they've had home births and everything. And he's been like the biggest advocate for her. And it's like, yes, we'd love to see it. We absolutely love to see it. That is really cool. Well, I do hate to cut it short, but I do have an appointment in 30 minutes. So I yeah, no worries. We are wrapping up now. Is there anything else you want to add about HG or your hopes for the future of HG? I just really fucking hope that we can get it through people's heads that we're not just being lazy. This is not just morning sickness. Mm -hmm. 
and we deserve better care than to be pumped full of various different medications Mm -hmm. to be made more convenient for our doctors. Mm -hmm. And to be left in the dark, we don't deserve that whatsoever. No, we deserve to be 100%. There's no reason for a woman to be diagnosed with hyperemesis only to find out months later that she was diagnosed because she sees it in her chart. Yes, exactly. I can't tell you how many women I've met who find out. HG moms are some of the bravest women I know. We were built from darkness and had to rise above. We were given little help, resources, or community by those in charge of our care, but we created it ourselves once we could unite through the internet and tell our stories, where we could tell the truth about plant medicine and surviving HG.